Hello and welcome to This Shit Really Happened, the true crime podcast where we deep dive into the most disturbing, depraved, and downright gruesome true crimes in history. My name is Em. And I'm Autumn. And we are back with part two. Part two. Dose. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. The dose. <laughs> oh my God. Part two of the toolbox murders. Dirt. Dirt. <laughs> Dirt. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, what other language can we say too? Um, I don't know a lot of other languages. I, don't I know, know French and Spanish. Same. I, I literally don't know um any other but French and Spanish. My That's language is not very. It's all I got for him. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, those, guys. If you're here, two. <laughs> if you're looking for language lessons, this is not the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I got Spanish and French for you. That's right? For That's you. all we got. Hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, well, we're back with with part two of the Toolbox Murders. Uh, and we left off last part, what? I gave a little bit of small intro to our final victim we're going to be talking about, Shirley Lynette Ledford. So that's what we're going to pick up this episode. And then the rest of this episode is going to go over, like, the investigation, their arrest, their trial, all that good stuff. So <laughs> at least on this one, there'll be a break of you know, talking about all the brutal murder, but it doesn't get any less infuriating because these guys are fucking fuckheads. Because so. <laughs> they're fucking fuckheads. They are fucking fuckheads. Fuck I also have a short audio clip um, in relation to the Shirley Lynette Ledford um, murder, so I'll give, like, trigger warnings beforehand if anybody wants to skip, like, 15 seconds so you don't have to hear it, just like I did with uh, David Parker Ray, because y'all know that audio clips were fucked up. <laughs> nah. um, <laughs> this one, thankfully, I have for this one is pretty short because it's like the only known audio clip of any of these tapes that um, Lawrence Bittaker recorded. It's the only audio, sh- like two seconds worth of it that's ever been released, like out in the media, because, like, probably for a good thing, because just I read the transcript for the tape and it's fucking brutal. Ugh. It's really, oh really horrible and terrible and all the, all the above. <laughs> D, all the above. Horrible, terrible, disgusting. <laughs> all the above. <laughs> so, oh, shit. Yeah, I'll play that and I'll give a heads up when I'm going to play it. Sorry, Autumn, you don't get to opt out. <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> and this episode will be uh, sans any cat sounds or cat sidebars because we're recording from Autumn's house this time. Mm-hmm. We're switching it up. Yeah. It's because Autumn wants to be antisocial and didn't want to leave. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I will come to you then. <laughs> because what I said we were gonna have this out like last week, that didn't happen. No. <laughs> so we're we're gonna we're doing it now and we're gonna make it work. You but know, we sometimes life happens. And yeah. Shit goes left. So here we are. That's very true. That is very true. But hey, we're here. Mm-hmm. We're doing the damn thing. So also, Halloween is next week spooky season spooky season as much as i whatever this is for me (laughs) (laughs) still spooky season spooky spooky yeah we're just getting a little extra spooky (laughs) fuck Oh, man. So, you know what you guys should do to make Autumn feel a little better? You guys should follow the Instagram. <laughs> At TSRH Podcast. We'll see you there. Thank mm-hmm. you. Follow the Instagram. I feel like I have to put that in early because I feel like we yeah. lose that people at the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. 
Because I know not all y'all, y'all, we finished the case and you're like, okay, bye, and yeah, don't care like, about the actual ending. You're so. like, no, it's like the credits at the end of the movie. Yeah, you know, nobody watches the credits. Someone stays for the credits. So I totally understand. But yeah, follow the Instagram, TSRH Podcast. We post pictures from the cases. We do like coming next posts. Um, you guys can leave comments. Talk to us over there on the Instagram. Drop case suggestions in the comments. Send us a DM, maybe. I think those are open. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, I, I had no idea. But yeah, follow the Instagram. It's a can fun you time close over there. Off? I, I don't know. I really have no idea if you can make it like only like people like that you mutually follow. I, I have no idea. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> here we are. So we're picking up part two, starting with again the case of Shirley Lynette Ledford. Shirley was the final victim of Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. So we're going to jump right into it. Um, trigger warning for this episode. Saving Jack trigger warnings is last episode. Um, violence, sexual assault, rape, torture, murder, general assholery from Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. <laughs> general assholery. General assholery. Oh, fuck. Um, so yeah, this ain't your cup of tea. We'll see you in the next one. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Let's Let's jump into it. So, Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris, they abducted Shirley Lynette Ledford um, on October 31st, 1979. Um, she was 16 years old on the date of her abduction. She was abducted as she stood outside a gas station. She was also hitchhiking. She was coming home from a Halloween party um, in the Sumlin, Tahunga suburb of Los Angeles. So, she was just on her way home, as per the 70s, she was hitchhiking, because that's what every fucking person did in the 70s. Which, I don't know why they didn't learn their lesson, because, like, clearly everybody's getting fucking I murked. know. I know, right? Like, oh, my God. there's a Has that chunk always been missing out of my door frame? I don't know, dude. I don't live here. <laughs> when would that have happened? Oh, my God. Know. Did that happen when we were moving in the couches? Maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there goes your security <laughs> deposit. <laughs> Anyways, so investigators believe that Shirley accepted a ride home from Bittaker and Norris because she actually recognized Lawrence Bittaker. Um, She was a waitress. She worked at a small diner in her hometown, and he frequented that diner as a customer. So they would have pulled up next to her. She would have, you know, they would have done her whole, their whole spiel. Hey, you need a ride home. Like, you want to drink for my creepy cooler? You don't want to smoke some marijuana? Was us old people? <laughs> Literally. She was 16. They were, what, in, like, their fucking 30s? Like, um, when yeah. I said 16, 30-year-olds, I was like... <laughs> Nasty, right? Literally, get the fuck away from me. But, yeah, she felt safe. She felt comfortable because she recognized Lawrence Bittaker. And, you know, it was probably one of those situations. You know, like, if you have a customer, like, a regular who comes into your work all the time, you might have, like, conversations with them. And if you were to see them, I was like, oh, hey, like, how's it going? So, obviously, she's not thinking... What a fucking creep. Who is this man? She's thinking, oh, it's it's Lawrence from the diner. Like, I know him. Mm-hmm. So she accepts the ride home. Um, again, she was offered weed by Roy Norris. She did decline. Um, while she was in the vehicle, Bittaker drives the van to a secluded street, as they typically did. That is when Roy Norris drew a knife on Shirley and then proceeded to bind and gag her with um, duct tape. Bittaker then traded places with Norris. So Bittaker goes to the back. <laughs> Norris goes to the front of the van. Um, Norris then continued to drive the van in somewhat of in like an aimless 
way. Mm -hmm. Like, just kind of, you know, as you do. Literally just driving around the streets, just killing time. And he was killing time for Bittaker to spend that time with Shirley in the back of the van. Um, He goes and he removes the construction tape from around Shirley's mouth and from her legs. And he basically, for lack of a better word, just starts absolutely tormenting her. Mm. Um, Initially, he starts with, like, slapping her and verbally mocking her. Mm -hmm. And then beating him, beating him, oh my gosh, beating her with his fists. Mm -hmm. And the entire time, he's, like, screaming at her. He's like, say something, say something. And she's just fucking screaming, right? She's Mm -hmm. getting beaten by this man who's twice her size and twice her age. Literally. And as she starts screaming, he starts shouting for her to scream louder. Like, that was his thing. Because with, Mm -hmm. um, with, um, I think it was Leah Mm -hmm. who was on tape and he was like, scream as loud as you want to. Like, because he got off on that. He was like. A fucking sadist and so he was like oh yeah scream louder like i love that shit yeah. <laughs> and so yeah he he told her to scream louder and as she continued screaming he was like hitting her and then he would like ask her a question so which is like the most fucking non-effective form of questioning ever like, he was like let me punch you and then ask you right <laughs> like obviously he wasn't looking for real answers he was just trying to physically and psychologically torment this poor girl mm-hmm. so he'd hit her and he would ask something like what's the matter and then he would hit her again he'd be like don't you like to scream like all this like no bitch i don't no i don't i fucking don't i don't like this and poor shirley the entire time she's just like obviously she's fucking terrified she's sobbing she's mm-hmm. screaming she's crying and she's pleading with Lawrence Bittaker the entire time she's just saying no 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 over and over again and don't touch me mm. and it gets to like a certain point too where she starts like willingly like asking to do things for him that mm. she thinks that he wants because it's the right it's the idea like if I cooperate, if I right. give him what he maybe wants. Maybe out. Right, exactly. Maybe he'll stop fucking punching me. <laughs> right. So in response to Shirley saying, no, don't touch me, Bittaker again tells her to scream as loud as she wants to. And this is when he takes a, like, sledgehammer, like a mallet hammer out of the toolbox. And he begins striking her with the hammer. Um, he beats her like in the chest, um, in the breasts with the hammer, and he's alternately striking her with his fists. And then he also takes out um, his favorite little tool, those vice grip pliers, mm-hmm. and he tortures her with those as well. Mm-hmm. And he was beating her in between instances of raping and sodomizing her. Right. He also forced Shirley to perform oral sex on him, even going to like so far as like to demand that she beg him to let her do it. Oh, like he is so fucking. What was that word that said? Custy. Oh yeah, custy. <laughs> He's custy. Oh. He's so fucking disgusting. And the entire time, he's just adding insult to injury with this over and over again. Like, it's bad enough what he's doing to her, but he's just 
mocking her repeatedly while he's doing it. He's like, oh, fucking scream louder. He's like, oh, look me in the face. Like, what do you want? What do you want me to do to you? And this poor girl is just fucking screaming her head off, trying to A, get away from him, and B, just get him to stop doing these things to her. He, again, like, mocks her repeatedly, and he's using the pliers now. He's, like, just grabbing, like, the skin of her breast and, like, twisting it and basically just, like, pulling. Oh, my God. And he's doing that to, like, her actual breast. He's doing that to her nipple. And he also goes so far as to, like, do the same, like, her genitalia. Mm. So this one was, like, really horrific, really horrible and terrible. Um, He would, like, insert them inside her, basically, and just, like, twist and pull. Oh, my God. Repeatedly. And he would do that to, like, both her vagina and her anus. So it was, like, significant damage, damage, tearing, bleeding. It Mm. was absolutely horrific what he did to this poor girl. poor girl. And to make matters even fucking worse, it was not bad enough that he was just doing this. He needed to record it on tape. (laughs) So he had his cassette recorder and he basically just popped it on. So the entirety, I think the tape is like 30 minutes long, something like that. Poor girl. I know. It's absolutely horrific. Like I'm so glad that this tape is not out Mm -hmm. just for people to listen to because A, that's fucking traumatizing. Yeah. And B, nobody needs to hear that. Nobody needs to hear something like that. It's bad enough that you can go read the transcript. And the transcript in and of itself is Mm -hmm. horrific. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't even imagine what listening to that tape would actually be like. Right. Absolutely fucking terrible. Um, So on this tape, she clearly obviously can be heard just screaming in agony and repeatedly begging Bittaker and Norris to stop. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's also multiple instances on the tape where it sounds like something is beating against the inside of the van. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's theorized, and I think it was confirmed by Bittaker too, that this was the sound of Shirley's body striking the interior of the van oh. as she was flailing and writhing in an attempt to get away from the pain of Bittaker and Norris is fucking torturing her. Mm-hmm. So she's throwing herself against the wall because she's frantically just trying to get right. away. And that's what that sound caught on the tape is. Mm-hmm. So shortly after about like an hour, I don't know how long, um, of Bittaker torturing Shirley, mm-hmm. he and Norris, as they typically do, they switch places. So Bittaker goes back up to the front and now Norris is in the back of the van with Shirley. So Norris almost immediately begins shouting at Shirley to scream for him. He then grabs the same sledgehammer that Bittaker had been hitting her with And he hits her, like, as hard as he can right on her elbow. And he, like, shatters her fucking elbow. Yeah. And she immediately starts screaming again. She's yelling out, like, you broke it. It's broken. Mm. And he's, like, he basically tells her to stop being so fucking dramatic and proceeds to hit her another 25 times or so on that same elbow. I'd be like, let me break your fucking elbow. Literally, bitch. let me let me put that sledgehammer in my hand and let me hit you in your fucking elbow with it as hard as I possibly can. Twenty-five times. And then hit her twenty-five more times. Like the fuck? And then let me tell you stop being so dramatic. Yeah, stop being so dramatic. He's just fucking ugh. Like, it's so disgusting. And literally, like, getting into, I won't go too deep in it because we'll cover it, but like, Norris is such a fucking bitch. Like he literally, like, after they get arrested, he's like, it was all Nor- it was all Bittaker's idea. 
It's like, I don't give a fuck whose idea it was because you still did it. You participated. Exactly. You 110% fully and willingly participated. Don't give a single fuck if it was your idea or not. Mm -mm. So this torture and abuse fully went on for about two hours before Norris um, finally strangled her to death using a coat hanger and a pair of pliers. So this is the same method that they killed um, Mm -hmm. their first victim with. Oh, Mm -hmm. gosh, I'm blanking on her name right now. I thought it was the first two. Was it the first two? It well, I think um, I think Andrea did they maybe, but they did this method a lot, basically of just taking the coat hanger and, and mm-hmm. twisting it to strangle the victim to death. Um, one of the saddest things I think is the last thing that Shirley can be heard on the tape saying is, "Do it, just kill me." Because at this point, she's been. So, she's been tortured so yeah, bad. Yeah, she's been absolutely brutalized to this point. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she's like, just fucking kill me. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't take this anymore. Mm-hmm. So, this is where Lawrence and, or Bittaker and Norris, they, thankfully, they fuck up a little bit. Because they deviate from their typical body disposal plan. Because they're not on that fire Mm-hmm. street right now they're just the entire time they've been aimlessly driving the van around like town mm-hmm. and so instead of dumping shirley's body like down a ravine or in the desert how they typically would they just decided to dump her in a random lawn they just chose a house that was in the same area where they had picked shirley up and they literally just like chucked her body out of the van so they didn't think anybody would find her? I think <laughs> what, so what they wanted, what they, I think maybe what Bittaker has even possibly admitted to is they wanted her to be found because uh, they're getting cocky at this point. Like they're not going to be caught. Exactly. And they, there has been like, these girls are being reported missing. Mm-hmm. So there is fear mm-hmm. going through the communities right now. Mm-hmm. And they loved that they were inciting this kind of fear in people. Mm-mm. So they decided to just dump her mm-hmm. as like, I don't know, like a fucking calling card or something. Like, oh, it's us. Ha ha ha. So yeah, they they just dump her into like a bush of like some ivy on somebody's front lawn. And she obviously was found very quickly. She mm-hmm. was found um, the next morning by a person who was just like out for a jog. Mm-hmm. I would never fucking go jogging again. No. Could you imagine? I'd be just so traumatized. Trying to be healthy and like go on your morning jog. You're like, oh my fucking God. You literally come across the absolutely just brutalized body of a 16 year old girl. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, I think this is a sign for me to never fucking go jogging again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be fat. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be like, I, nope, can't do it. If this is my passion, guess I'm finding a new passion because mm-hmm. I, mm, I can't do that anymore. Nope. <laughs> Trauma. Traumatized. Trauma. I'm absolutely traumatized. So when Shirley's autopsy was performed, the she had a very, very extensive list of injuries. Right. Um, the pathologist discovered the following wounds on her body. She had compression marks on her neck. She had petechial hemorrhages, which do you know what that is? Mm. So a petechial hemorrhage is basically the blood vessels in your eyes popping mm. from oh. strangulation. Mm. Um, she had blunt force trauma to the head, mm. blunt force trauma to the face, blunt force trauma to the breasts, tears of the vaginal lining, tears of the rectal lining, multiple fractures of the olecranon, which is your elbow, mm. lacerations of the 
fingers, fingers, <laughs> lacerations of the fingers and puncture wounds on one of her hands. So after Shirley's body is found, she is their last victim. So they do, they do get caught mm-hmm. off of this. So I'm going to jump into now talking a little bit about the investigation. Because mm-hmm. at this point, police know that girls are going missing, mm-hmm. but they don't have any bodies. Now they got a body. Now they have a body. So mm-hmm. it's like time to kick the shit into gear and figure this the fuck out. And they out. also have that one girl that got away. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. They do. <laughs> they have Robin. <laughs> Track star, bad bitch. She ran. <laughs> she was like, I'm out. I know. She was literally like, that's still absolutely insane to me that she was able to just fucking sprint away from it. Mm-hmm. They were probably so flustered mm-hmm. by the fact that she had even managed to get away. They're just like standing there with their fucking thumbs up their assholes. Like, what do we what? do? What just happened? Where'd she go? Are we gonna get her back? <laughs> <laughs> she ran away. God. Fuck these guys. <laughs> okay, so at the time of Bittaker and Norris committing the murders, this is the 70s, obviously. Mm-hmm. So forensic science was not on the kind of level that it is today. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they had successfully bo- like disposed of the bodies of four of their victims meant there was very, very little evidence that Bittaker and Norris had been involved in the d- disappearances of all of their previous victims. Mm-hmm. There were no witnesses, no physical evidence, and no bodies to be found. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what really started fucking them up is the fact that a they shirley's body and b norris doesn't know how to shut the fuck up (laughs) so he really starts getting them caught and getting them into a bind because he starts talking to an old prison acquaintance of his and he's telling this old acquaintance all about what him and bittaker have been up to So in November of 1979, this is when Norris became reacquainted with a friend um, named Joseph Jackson. He was an individual that Norris had been incarcerated with at the California men's colony. Norris confided in Jackson regarding his and Bittaker's exploits, basically Mm -hmm. everything they've been up to, you know, over the previous five months. And he is giving graphic details. So, you know, Joe Jackson, he's like, yeah, this guy's kind of got, like, a fucked up, like, imagination and shit. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is way too detailed to be, like, something he's just fucking making up. Mm-hmm. He gives Joe Jackson graphic details of all the murders, specifically Shirley Ledford's. Um, and, of course, she was the only victim whose body had been found at this time. Mm-hmm. Norris also told Jackson that in addition to the five murders that he and Bittaker had committed, there had also been three additional instances where he and Bittaker had abducted or attempted to abduct a young woman um, who had either escaped them or in one instance they had actually raped but released her. Mm. So not only have they had the ones that they've murdered, but there's other victims floating around there that A, either got away or they just let go. Mm. So upon hearing Norris's confessions, um, Jackson immediately goes like to his own attorney Mm -hmm. and he's like, um... I don't want to get in trouble for this. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, he's like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. What do I do here? Because he's he's just told me some shit. Mm-hmm. And his attorney obviously is like, tell the fucking cops, dude. Literally. <laughs> like, you're going to be in more trouble if you don't say anything. Mm-hmm. So lawyers like absolutely go inform authorities. And Jackson's like, bet I'm going to go tell the police. Mm-hmm. So he and his attorney go and they inform the Los Angeles Police Department Mm. who in turn relayed what the two, like what they told them over to the Hermosa Beach Police Department. Mm. 
So this is when a Hermosa Beach detective named Paul Bynum was assigned to the case. Mm -hmm. He was assigned to investigate Jackson's claims as to Roy Norris's confessions of the murders. Um, also, those attempted abductions and the rapes that he had confided to Jackson of occurring between June and October. So this mm -hmm. complete span of their crime. They started mm -hmm. in June and Shirley Ledford was Halloween, the end of mm -hmm. October. Bynum, he initially noted that Jackson's statements to Norris's confessions, they did. Like, the thing that stuck out most to him was that what Jackson was saying Norris confessed matched multiple reports of teenage girls that had been reported missing over mm -hmm. the previous five months. Mm -hmm. So he's like, mm, this shit tracks. Yeah. It lines up. Jackson had also mentioned that Bittaker and Norris were driving around in a silver van mm -hmm. and that also kind of puts a light bulb off in Bynum's head because... That one that got away. Yes, he remembers Robin Roback. And what mm. she had said, literally one of the only things she could remember is they picked me up mm. in a silver van. Right. So what Bynum decides to do, he has an officer, because Robin Roback at this point, she was from Oregon. So she's back living in Oregon. So they send an officer to go visit her in Oregon and see if she would be able to identify Bittaker and Norris from a set of photographs. Mm. So they give Robin the photos and she takes an extensive time, like looking through every single one. Like she is taking their faces in. she's like, if mm. I'm going to pick two people out of this, your bet your ass are going to be the right people. Mm. So she takes the time to look through the photos and she picks out the photo of Norris and she picks out the photo of Bittaker. <laughs> Immediately this officer like, calls Bynum on the phone. He's like, yup, she picked him out. Mm -hmm. So this is when Bynum takes the case to Deputy District Attorney Steve Kay. And Steve Kay had actually prosecuted Norris before over a rape case. So he's probably like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, bro, you've been in prison multiple so times. So many times. And he's probably like, ah, fuck, we should have just kept him in prison. Mm -hmm. So Kay knew that if they arrested the two men straight away, they wouldn't be able to pick up another victim, obviously, because they're mm. going to be in police custody. Mm -hmm. But what he's worried about, again, is remember at this point, they only have Shirley Ledford's body. Right. They, and all they have to go on is the statements from a, like, poor Robin, who would probably be torn apart on the stand as an unreliable witness, mm -hmm. and Joe Jackson, who's a career criminal. Literally. So they don't have a super strong case. So what Kay decides to do is take the risk and set Lawrence and Bittaker up to be surveilled. Mm. And he decides to do this because it would give them time to establish a stronger case against them. Because mm -hmm. he's, you know, under the thought of when we go for these motherfuckers, we're getting them. Mm -hmm. So he orders surveillance to be placed on mm -hmm. Bittaker and Norris. And that starts, like, in that same month, November of 1979. Mm. So... Again, Norris fucks up, <laughs> and he, while he's being watched by police, he was um, seen by the officers watching him selling weed. <laughs> so he gets booked on a drug charge. Mm. Um, this is November 20th, 1979. Norris is on parole still at this time, and the possession, the selling, was a clear violation of the terms of his parole, so the officer's like, fuck, we have to arrest him. So they pick up Norris. And once they have Norris, they quickly just go get Bittaker as well. And they were both charged on suspicion of the rape and kidnapping of Robin Roback. Um, they were able to get a warrant mm -hmm. off of this to go and search Bittaker's apartment. 
And upon this search of his apartment, they find multiple stupid amounts of Polaroid photographs. That was his thing. Mm -hmm. He took a lot of Polaroids. And they found in the Polaroids, they were able to identify Andrea Hall and Jackie Gilliam. And those, again, two girls who had been reported missing earlier Mm -hmm. in the same year. So they're like, ooh, this is something. We're Mm -hmm. getting somewhere with this. They also took a look inside Bittaker's van. They discovered a sledgehammer, a plastic bag filled with lead weights, Mm -hmm. a book detailing how to locate police radio frequencies, a jar of Vaseline, two necklaces, which they later confirmed as belonging to two of the victims, and a tape recording of a young woman in obvious distress, screaming and repeatedly begging for mercy while being tortured and sexually abused. Um, The police take this tape and they present it to Shirley Ledford's mother. Mm -hmm. Um, They knew of Shirley Ledford, obviously, because of her body. And also, Mm -hmm. she had been named by Joe Jackson as being Mm -hmm. one of the girls that Norris had confessed that he and Bittaker had killed. Mm -hmm. Um, They bring the tape to her mother. And her mother, right away, she was like, that is my daughter on that tape. She identifies her, like, by voice alone. Could you imagine, like, having to do that? Yeah. That's absolutely horrific. Your 16-year-old daughter, that's what you have to do? Yeah. Just a tape of her uh, screaming. so traumatizing. She probably lived with that for the rest of her oh, life. Oh, God, yeah. There's no question that she's got that with her for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Like, this poor mother. Not only does she have to now deal with the fact that and her she daughter probably is saw dead. Her body. Yeah, oh, absolutely. They probably had to bring her in to identify mm-hmm. the body. Like, and now, not only is she traumatized from that, losing her fucking daughter she 16 heard years what old. She went through. Yeah, she heard exactly what she had gone through. I Thankfully, I don't think they played the entire tape for her because she just was able to. enough. Right, they played enough for her to be able to identify, be like, yeah, that's that Shirley on that mm-hmm. tape. I would know that. Mm-hmm. Like, I would know my daughter's voice anywhere. Right. Um, there are also two voices, of course, on that tape of the men mocking and threatening Shirley in the mm-hmm. process of her torture and abuse. And those were, of course, identified as Roy Norris mm-hmm. and Lawrence Bittaker. Also found in Bittaker's motel room were seven bottles of various acidic materials. And investigators would later discover that Bittaker had planned to use those acids on their next victim. Oh. So it's a good thing that they got picked up before they could find somebody because that poor girl probably would have been subjected to something absolutely even more horrific. Yeah. Um, Inside Norris's apartment, police discovered a bracelet that he had taken from Shirley Ledford's body as a souvenir. So they found also over 500 Polaroids between Bittaker and Norris's home. And they were just of like random teenage girls and young women. Most of these, which had apparently been taken at Redondo Beach and Hermosa Beach. Um, some Bittiger had taken at Burbank High School. And most of these pictures were clearly having been taken without the girls' knowledge or consent. Mm-hmm. So they were doing that thing where they were just kind of going around, scoping out and just taking pictures of like teenage girls and young women that they thought they might want to like pick up his victims. Over 500 Polaroids of that. Like, these dudes are fucking creeps. Ooh, I just got, like, the heebie-jeebies. Black. <laughs> I got the heebie-jeebies. So, on uh, November 30th, 1979, Norris attends a preliminary hearing in relation to um, the rape of Robin Robeck. By this stage, Norris is 
beginning to be like very clearly, he's getting stressed. He knows that he's about to get caught for some shit. So he's like, how the fuck can I make this better for myself? Mm -hmm. At the hearing, Norris actually waived his Miranda rights. So, you know, right to remain silent, right to attorney, all that good shit. Mm -hmm. Um, He waived those rights before Detective Bynum and Deputy District Attorney Stephen Kay. And they immediately begin questioning him. Because he waived his right to an attorney. They don't have to have an attorney in the room. So Mm -hmm. they can basically just, like, sit him down Mm -hmm. and question him whatever fucking line of questioning they want to. Because they're not going to have an attorney saying, back the fuck up. You can't answer those questions. Mm -hmm. Or you can't ask those questions. Right. So initially... Norris flat out denied any involvement in the murders, the rapes, the disappearances. Bro, I'd be which, like, bro, we literally have proof. Right? <laughs> which, like, and that doesn't track, too. Because, like, if you're innocent, I wouldn't be waiving my rights if mm. I was innocent. Mm-mm. Because clearly I want... An attorney. An attorney, right. Because I'm fucking innocent and right. you're not going to try to trap me into something, admitting something that I didn't do. Right. And so for Norris to have been like, yeah, I don't care. Like, clearly. And, like, it's not like Norris doesn't have a track record. Like, this man's fucking rap sheet is 10 miles long. So, they clearly, they don't fucking believe him. So, they pretty much just, like, say, here's the proof. (laughs) And they confront him with all of the evidence Mm -hmm. that they had compiled. And Norris has, like, that oh shit moment. And he just, he just begins to confess. Though he does try to portray himself as, you know... The lesser of the evils. Exactly. The lesser of the two evils. He basically puts all the blame on Bittaker. And that Bittaker, like, it was his idea. He picked the victims. He told me what to do. Whatever, whatever. Which, again, doesn't fucking matter. Mm. Because you still did it. Yeah. You still did it. You were still there. You still participated. Yeah, You're still a piece of shit. Like, you are literally... Caught on tape, <laughs> caught on candid fucking camera, mm-hmm. doing these things fucking gleefully and joyfully, mm-hmm. you sick fuck. <laughs> Norris also divulged that he and Bittaker had been in the habit of driving around areas such as a Pacific Coast Highway and just like randomly approaching girls that they thought were attractive mm-hmm. and they would offer them a ride. They would ask them to pose with them for pictures or offer them marijuana. Norris and Bittaker would then try to entice the girl to get into their van. Most of these girls, thankfully, rejected their offer. Mm-hmm. And he said that they had succeeded with um, five. I believe it's five, right? Five mm-hmm. different girls. Shirley, Jackie, Leah, Andrea. The one first victim. I can't remember her fucking name. <laughs> I feel yeah. so bad. Five. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then six, actually, because they did get Robin Roback. And mm-hmm. then they murdered five of them. But wasn't that the only one that willingly got on I think the, the rest only of them ones, were yeah, the them. only yeah, everyone else was snatched. The only ones that willingly got into their car were um, Jackie yeah. and Leah. Yeah. Well, the last one, she willingly got in. Yes, yeah, so three of them, Jackie and Leah, willingly got mm-hmm. in because they accepted the offer of a ride because they were a they were hitchhiking, mm-hmm. and they also offer or accepted the offer of the weed. Mm-hmm. So Jackie and Leah, and then Shirley. Mm-hmm. So three of them um, got in willingly, and then the other three they snatched. Mm-hmm. So, again, he admits that they murdered five of the girls that they had snatched. Norris admittedly, he admitted to the bludgeoning of Leah Lamp, who was their youngest victim. He said he beat her in the head with a sledgehammer as Bittaker strangled her. And he did admit to repeatedly striking Shirley Ledford in the elbow with a sledgehammer before strangling her to death. 
The bottles of acid they found at Bittaker's motel, this is when Norris tells them that they intended to use those upon their next victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the acts of torture and humiliation that had been committed against their victims, they just did it, quote, for fun. For fun. <laughs> I'm about to for fun you to death. Right, literally. So. I'm about to beat the fuck out of you for fun. Oh my God, literally. Like... I could not imagine being, like, the officers in this, like, doing like, this interview and him just so casually. Be like, yeah, we just did it for fun. Literally. I would, I would literally, like, I would much rather be like, I was possessed by Satan. Like, give me some I'm fucking. Like, oh, my God, you're insane. Yes. <laughs> give me some absolutely fucking out there reason. I will take that better than we did it for fun. Is that, like, you are so fucked. You are so fucked. There is no redeeming you. Like, I can understand if somebody is mentally unwell and they do something because they thought that, like, the fucking devil was telling them to do it. Mm-hmm. But, no. And they're just like, yeah, we just we were just fucking looking for something to do and we decided that the fun thing would be to go rape, abduct, rape, torture, and murder some girls. Mm-hmm. We just did for funsies. Come the fuck on, man. <laughs> Come the fuck on, man. I'd be like, mm, to be real, you really shouldn't have let me out of prison. I could rant about that for yeah. fucking hours about how they never, ever, ever should have been let out of prison. It's not like they were just, like, petty criminals either. Like, by the last time they were both incarcerated, they were incarcerated for violent crimes. Mm-hmm. They should never, ever ever have been let out and norris was on fucking parole the entire time they were doing he's this. like hmm, i'm on parole let's murder yeah literally he would go like check in with this fucking parole officer and be like yeah today i um did this i did this you know, let me not tell you that i murdered a girl too while i was out here with my best friend larry bittaker another fucking criminal like uh, that i met in prison that i literally met in prison another violent criminal yeah no there was they dropped the fucking ball on this one, letting mm-hmm. these two assholes out of prison, for mm-hmm. real. Um, so Norris, he did provide some more additional details to corroborate the um, his confessions. So, oh my god, Lucinda's her first name, the first victim. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of the things that he provided was that he knew that Lucinda had left a meeting at the Presbyterian church shortly before they abducted her mm-hmm. and that she had lost one of her shoes as they dragged her into the van. Mm-hmm. Norris also knew part of Shirley Ledford's like ancestry was Hispanic and that Bittaker had had a prior history with her because she, he had previously asked her on a date and she had rejected him. Well, because, because she was 16. Because you're a fucking old fuck asking a 16-year-old on a date. Literally. Nasty, Literally. Nasty, cussy bitch. <laughs> nasty, cussy bitch. Which makes me think that, like, because all their other victims were completely random. Mm-hmm. But it makes me think that when Bittaker saw the Shirley, rejection. yeah. That mm-hmm. he was getting revenge on her for mm-hmm. her having rejected him. Because, mm-hmm. like, all the other victims are completely random. They didn't mm-hmm. know them mm-hmm. beforehand, but it just so happens that the one that they admittedly brutalized the most was a girl who had rejected mm-hmm. Lawrence Bittaker in the past. Kind of tracks. <laughs> kind of tracks. <laughs> so... Norris's confessions, they do raise the questions of, you know, possible other victims. And, of course, they have this 
crop of Polaroids and they're wondering, are there more victims that we just don't know about? On February 7th, 1980, Los Angeles County Sheriff uh, Peter Purchase, he stated that the victims had been subjected to, quote, sadistic and barbaric, barbaric abuse, adding that five... Five charges of first-degree murder would be sought against both Bittaker and Norris. Pitches also stated that police had identified 19 of the women depicted in the pictures uh, as being individuals who had been reported missing. So they're wondering, are these related? Because we have found 19 of these girls and these Polaroids have also been reported missing. Mm-hmm. So are there possibly 19 more victims out there? Um, these teenage girls and young women, they, they really didn't know what happened to them. They could have been murdered. They could have been runaways. And Pitches did stress that they had no conclusive evidence to suggest that these additional 19 women had fallen victim to Bittaker and Norris. But it was just, you know, very strange mm-hmm. that, I mean, it could just be a wild coincidence. They had over 500 Polaroids. And this was a time period where girls were running away. There was a lot of, you know, rampant crime happening because of, it was the fucking 70s and 80s. People were just getting into people's fucking cars. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of girls, you know, were leaving for, you know, to be sex workers. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it could have been a coincidence. But the police were like, it's possible that they murdered these girls, too. But neither Bittaker nor Norris ever admitted to anything more than um, the five victims plus the few that escaped from them. Mm-hmm. One of the Polaroid pictures that they seized from Bittaker and Norris It depicted an unidentified young white woman alone with Bittaker and Norris in circumstances very similar to the pictures found depicting um, Andrea, Leah Lamp, and Jackie Gilliam. This young woman in the pictures was never identified. Bittaker and Norris never said who she was. They never gave any sort of details. Um, But this photograph, the police saw it was very clear that there is another victim Mm -hmm. that we're just never going to know about because mm-hmm. they couldn't identify her from the photo and Bittaker and Norris never said a thing about who she possibly could have been. Mm-hmm. So there is a possible additional victim that we just don't know about because they didn't say anything about her. Damn. But yeah, the Polaroid being that it was very similar to Poland's of previous victims is pretty damning. Mm-hmm. Like you, they didn't let those girls go after they took those photos of mm-hmm. them. So Norris, as a part of, you know, he's basically trying to get a plea deal at this point. He is trying to cooperate with police so he can get the best outcome possible for himself. So he agrees to take police into the San Gabriel Mountains, where that fire road was, to search for the bodies of the girls that he had confessed to the abduction and murders of. They searched this area extensively. Um... They were never able to find the bodies of Lucinda Schaefer or Andrea Hall. Um, But on February 9th, 1980, the skeletalized bodies of Jackie Leah Lamp and Jackie Gilliam were found at the bottom of a canyon alongside a dry riverbed. An ice pick was still lodged in Jackie's skull. Mm. And Leah's skull bore multiple indentations, which was evident of the multiple sledgehammer blows that Norris stated he inflicted on her to kill her. Mm. So, yeah, they were able to find a few bodies. Um, Obviously, they have Shirley. They were able to find Jackie and Leah, but Lucinda and Andrea, they've never been found. It's, like, assumed that they were probably picked apart by animals. Yeah. Yeah. So, in February of 1980, Norris and Bittaker were formally charged with the murders of the five girls. 
at the arraignment, Bittaker was straight up denied bail. They're like, you're not getting bail. Fuck you. And Norris's bail was set at $10,000. Within one month of being charged with murder, Norris had accepted a plea bargain in which he would testify against Bittaker in return for the prosecution agreeing to not seek the death penalty against him. Hmm. So they're like, you're going to get life in prison. Fuck you, buddy. Mm-hmm. No chance of parole, but we're not going to kill you if you mm-hmm. testify against Bittaker. On March 18th, 1980, Norris pleaded guilty to four counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder in relation to Andrea Hall, two counts of rape, and one count of robbery. On May 7th, 1980, Norris was sent to 45 years to life imprisonment with eligibility for parole from 2010. So I guess he did enough that they're like, all right, I guess we'll we'll see. We'll make you eligible for parole in 2010. So he would have had to serve, what, 30 years, 30 years before? Mm-hmm. So we're going to go in now and we're going to talk about Lawrence Bittaker's trial. Um, I don't know where I'm going to play this audio clip, but I'm going to play it sometime here because mm-hmm. it's relevant because they play the tape for the jury mm-hmm. during Bittaker's trial. Mm-hmm. Um, on April 24th, 1980, Bittaker was arraigned on 29 charges of kidnapping, rape, sodomy, and murder, in addition to various charges of criminal conspiracy and possession of a firearm. He was also charged with two counts of conspiracy to commit murder dating from December 1979, in which he had unsuccessfully attempted to persuade two inmates um, due to be released to murder Robin Robeck in order to prevent her from testifying against him at his upcoming trial. So he tried to con two prisoners. And those prisoners were like, yo. Yeah, they're like, get uh, him. no, literally. Get they're him. like, um, he's telling us this shit like, uh, you might want to get him. Um, so the charges for the rape of Robin Robeck, they would later be dropped because of a lack of physical evidence, as well as Robin's inability to identify her attackers like in a physical lineup. She was able to pick them out of photos, but once she was like put in front of like an actual lineup, she was not able to identify them. Mm-hmm. And they had zero physical evidence to tie Bittaker and Norris to her attack, so they just ended up having to drop the charges. But they're still going to get him on the fucking 29 counts of the other shit that he's on trial for. So Bittaker's trial began on January 19th, 1981. He was tried in Torrance, California before Judge Thomas Fredericks. And Roy Norris was the prosecution's star witness. They were banking on Norris for a huge majority of what they were putting against Lawrence Bittaker. Mm -hmm. Norris testified to how he and Bittaker had become acquainted and how they'd formulated their plan to kidnap, rape, and murder teenage girls while they were incarcerated together. I bet the judge was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, right. God damn it. <laughs> Norris then chronologically recounted all the details of each of the five murders that he and Bittaker had committed. He also mentioned the rape of Robin Robeck, as well as the attempted abduction of a woman named Jan Malin, who had also, who had occurred in September of 1979. They had also attempted to abduct another unidentified woman a few days before that on September 27th. Norris also recounted all the details of the murders. He gave information on how the victims were tortured and whether he or Bittaker had been the one to kill them. Several witnesses also testified as to Bittaker having shown them pictures of the victims. Um, basically, he was keeping them at keep, as keepsakes, and he would show people, like, yo, look at this shit. And he would just, like, show his friends and his acquaintances that he would have over in his motel room. Why these people never came forward, I don't fucking know. <laughs> but at least they testified at the trial. God. 
One witness was a 17-year-old neighbor of Bittaker's named Christina Drail, and she testified that Bittaker had shown her a Polaroid of Jackie Gilliam before telling her, quote, the girls I get won't talk anymore. Why, as a 17-year-old girl, why would you not come forward? I know, maybe she was probably fucking terrible because she was in the range of his victim pool. So mm-hmm. he's showing her pictures of other teenage girls that he has murdered. I'm she's going probably, to the popo. She's probably fucking terrified. I'm snitching. Because she, what I think. Like, I'm snitching because <laughs> I'm terrified. Because I'm next. You're showing me because you, what are you, what, what? That's supposed to be me next? Is that why you're showing me? Yeah. And I think like when he says the girls I get won't talk anymore, that feels like a, like a not so thinly veiled threat to her. Mm-hmm. Like if I get you you're not going to be able to talk, so you better shut the fuck up. So guess what? I'm now scared. I'm going (laughs) to the fucking police. You're going down, you bitch. I think, like, I don't know what I would do in that situation, honestly, because my fear would be, like, okay, what if I go to the police, but what if they can't hold him? And now he knows that I fucking snitched, and he's coming for my ass. Better believe I'm staying in my fucking house. He would probably break his shit in their neighbor's. You better believe I'm staying somewhere else. (laughs) I'm going into hiding. You're never going to see my face again. So I can understand why a 17-year-old girl who was probably fucking terrified of this man did not come forward. Another witness they had testify, his name was Lloyd Douglas. He had shared a jail cell with Bittaker following his November 1979 arrest. Douglas testified that Bittaker had discussed in detail the torture he inflicted on Jackie Gilliam and Shirley Ledford stating that Bittaker had informed him that he had stabbed one of Jackie's breasts with an ice pick, which he then twisted into the wound just to inflict as much pain as he possibly could. He had also, quote, pinched Jackie on the legs and breasts with a vice grip before tearing off one of her nipples. Douglas also stated that Bittaker had informed him that he had, quote, pulled on the genitals and breasts of Shirley Ledford with those same vice grip pliers, and that he had attempted to beat her breasts, quote, back into her chest. So that is how hard he was hitting her. Oh, my God. The defense contended that Norris was the actual perpetrator of the murders, and that Bittaker had only become aware of Norris's activities shortly before his arrest, when Norris had informed Bittaker that he had murdered several girls with whom they had both just happened to encounter on separate occasions and engage in sexual activities with. So the defense is trying to argue... That Bittaker did not murder these girls. Yes, he may have sexually assaulted them, but it was Norris that decided to go back, repick them up, and kill them. And Bittaker didn't know about any of that until what? he was arrested. What? Like, okay, then what the fuck is happening on this tape, you pieces of shit? Literally. Like, what the fuck? Oh. Uh. Oh, God. Yeah. The, like, I just can't... I can't fathom wanting to defend... Somebody like this. That's where money is. Is in defense. And it like the fact I totally get like defense attorneys. Yes, you want to make your money. Yes, you're you know, who fucking knows. But if you know that your client is guilty, you should just be trying to get them like a sentence or something. Like mm-hmm. don't try to convince people that they're innocent. That's their job. Oh, it's just fucking crazy. Because, like, fun fact, uh, when I first went to college, I wanted to go to law school. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a criminal prosecutor. 
And I was, like, talking to people about it, and they're like, honestly, you shouldn't do prosecution because you're not going to make any money. All the money is in defense. I'm like, why the fuck would I want to defend a criminal? I don't want to do that. (laughs) Sneeze. (laughs) Bless you. Thanks. Yeah, Yeah, but I guess some people throw away their fucking souls for money. The defense also produced a friend of Roy Norris's named Richard Schupman, who testified as to Norris's repeated divulging to him his desire to rape young girls. So they're trying to use Schupman to be like, yeah, he's a sexual predator. Of course he would go back and brutalize these girls. Mm-hmm. Shootman also testified that Norris had informed him that the look of shock and fear on the face of a young girl was like prime sexual stimulus for him. Yeah. So we talked about that in part one, how Norris was like, I just love to see, like I rape because mm-hmm. I like to see the fear in a woman's eyes. Mm-hmm. And yet he bitched out when he tried to strangle Lucinda because mm-hmm. she was looking at him. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Norris. You suck. Literally. You, you suck. You suck. You just suck. You fucking suck. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in support of Bittaker's case, the defense had continuously, like, referred to the Polaroid pictures taken of the facial expressions of Andrea Halls and of Bittaker's statement as to Norris's revelations to Bittaker, like, regarding the sexual perversions that they had. So, you know, because these pictures are of Andrea Hall's face of the absolute fear in her eyes. Mm-hmm. And so they're relating that back to Norris by saying, hey, he liked to see the fear mm-hmm. in these girls' faces. So it makes sense for him to have been the aggressor, him to have been the leader, because look how fucking terrified she looks. Mm-hmm. And that is what got him off. So that's basically how they're trying to spin this. And they're like, we have multiple people testifying to Norris admitting that he has these kind of perversions. Mm-hmm. However... The most damning evidence presented at Bittaker's trial was just, they only played a section of the tape, 17 minutes of the tape that the pair had created of Shirley Ledford's abuse and torment. This audio tape, which they found inside Bittaker's van, in Mm -hmm. which Norris had earlier testified Bittaker had repeatedly played over and over again Mm -hmm. as they were just driving around, Mm -hmm. like in the weeks prior to their arrest, this was presented in evidence on January 29th with Stephen K. forewarning the journey, quote, for those of you who do not know what hell is like, you will find out. More than 100 people were present in the courtroom as the tape was played, and many members of both the jury and the audience, they just wept openly upon hearing the contents, with several members of the audience either burying their heads in their hands, like wiping tears in their eyes, or just straight up rushing out of the courtroom before the tape had been finished. Mm -hmm. So it was so brutal that they could not even Mm -hmm. stay in. So I'm going to play like the short clip and it's going to preface a little bit. This is from like an old NBC news archive. So you're going to hear the um, anchor kind of preface it a little bit. And then the clip of what you can hear of the tape in and of itself is, is very, very short. Mm-hmm. Um, and all you can hear like in the background, because it's the reporters are standing outside of the courtroom and they're watching people run out of the courtroom and you can hear mm-hmm. the audio of the tape in the background a little bit. Mm-hmm. So people listening, if you don't want to, <laughs> if you don't want to listen to this tape, um, you should probably skip forward maybe like 30 seconds from this point. Um, but here, we're going to go ahead and we're going to play this. The most devastating testimony the jury has heard. 
the agonizing screams of teenager Lynette Ledford as she was being tortured in a moving van. The accused, Lawrence Bittaker, showed no emotion as he listened, his eyes fixed on a transcript of the tape. The jurors concentrated on the transcript as if to try and block out the screams. It was too much for one member who wept. A spectator rushed from the courtroom. It was more than she could stand. So you can, like, just barely hear. I hear shit. Well, I'll play it for you again (laughs) after. But it's very, very short. Mm -hmm. It's, like, as, like, in the tape, the door is opening and Mm -hmm. the anchor is talking about the juror running out that you can hear Shirley screaming on Mm -hmm. the tape in the background. And that is, like, the only only bit of that tape that has ever been released in media is that Mm -hmm. like super super short section Mm -hmm. that you can hear with Shirley's grieving Mm -hmm. so while this tape was being played Bittaker himself was seemingly completely undisturbed at hearing the contents of it and he was actually smiling through the duration of the recording prosecutor Stephen Kay was also reduced to tears from hearing the tape During one of the instances where he left the courtroom, he actually spoke to reporters and he told them, quote, everybody who has heard that tape has had it affect their lives. I just picture those girls, how alone they were when they died. Mm. When questioned by reporters whether the audio tape should have been introduced into evidence at all, Kay stated, quote, you're darn right it should have been. The jury needs to know what these guys did. Mm -hmm. On February 5th, 1981, Bittaker actually got up on the stand and testified on his own behalf. He denied any knowledge in the abduction and murder of Lucinda Schaefer, and he claimed he had paid Andrea Hall to pose for the Polaroid photographs depicting her that they found at the Burbank Motel after Hall had agreed to his offer of $200 for sex. So he's basically saying that Andrea Hall got in the van willingly because he offered her $200 to have sex with him and pose for some Polaroids. He then claimed that Norris had walked Andrea into the San Gabriel Mountains before returning alone and informing Bittaker that he had told Andrea to, quote, find her own way home. Bittaker had a similar explanation as to the double murder of Leah Lamp and Jackie Gilliam. He claimed that Jackie accepted an offer of money for sex and posing for pictures, and that he had last seen the girls alone with Norris in the van. With regard to the murder of Shirley Ledford, he claimed that she had agreed to theatrically scream for the tape recorder, and that she was not tortured in his presence, but had been left alone with Norris in his van. Like, what? (laughs) Like, the the level of agony and pain and fear. You can literally hear in somebody's voice. Yes, and like, in that clip, you can hear, even in the short, super short bit of that audio, you can, she is not screaming for fun or mm-hmm. fate. Like she is right. screaming because you are fucking torturing her and she's in agony. Mm-hmm. Like the fucking balls of this guy. She's like, oh yeah, she just, it was a little laugh. Ha ha ha. I told her to scream on the tape recorder and she did it. And it's like, okay, but you're also not accounting for all the other nasty shit that happened on that tape. Literally. Disgusting piece of shit. Good God. <laughs> Bitter's trial lasted for over three weeks. On February 9th, 1981, the prosecution and defense counsels began their closing arguments. Kay apologized to the jury, and he said that he was only asking for the death penalty. He was not seeking any other punishment. 
adding that he wished the law permitted him to request that the same suffering be inflicted upon Bideker that he inflicted upon his victims. Mm -hmm. Kay then described Bideker as a, quote, excuse for a man, as he held a bow, like he held up pictures of each of the five murdered girls before the jury as he was giving his closing statement. Mm -hmm. Seeking the death penalty, Kay referred to the case as, quote, one of the most shocking, brutal cases in the history of American crime Mm -hmm. and added, quote, make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, a punishment of life imprisonment in prison would be a total, complete victory for him. If the death penalty is not appropriate in this case, then when will it ever be? Right. Uh, And it's true Mm -hmm. because he, like Norris, I mean, not that Norris is the most fucking trustworthy person in Mm -hmm. the room, but... At this point, like, Norris has taken his plea. He has no reason to lie. Right. He was saying about how Bitteker was listening to Shirley's tape mm-hmm. over and over again. So, clearly, if he's, in li- if he's spending his life in prison, he's going to be sitting there. He's going to be thinking, thinking about, about it. it. Mm-hmm. He's going to be reliving it. He's mm-hmm. going to be talking to all his... He has no remorse. Mm-hmm. Zero. Mm-hmm. So, like, life imprisonment would not be a punishment for him. No. A, he... He still gets to relive those. Right. He can relive those, and he has a track record that he does quite well in prison. Mm-hmm. So it's not a punishment for him. Mm-hmm. On February 17th, 1981, after deliberating for three days, the jury found Bittaker guilty of five counts of first-degree murder, one charge of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, five charges of kidnapping, nine charges of rape, two charges of forcible oral copulation, one charge of sodomy, and three charges of unlawful possession of a firearm. On February 19th, the jury went into deliberations to decide whether Bittaker should have received the death penalty. The jury deliberated for just 90 minutes mm. before they returned with the verdict. Bittaker was sentenced to death for the five counts of first-degree murder upon which the prosecution had sought this penalty. 90 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, fucking. In a death penalty case, mm-hmm. 90 minutes. That is absolutely insane. Um, on March 24th, 1981, Bittaker was formally sentenced to death. In the event that the sentence imposed was ever reverted to life imprisonment, um, Judge Thomas Fredericks imposed an alternative sentence of 199 years, four <laughs> months, and because <laughs> he goes 199 years plus four months. <laughs> like, if you make this 199 years, you still got four more months. To do. Um, and so, if like the death penalty were ever be commuted, mm-hmm. that 199 four month sentence would take immediate effect. Mm-hmm. Bittaker did attempt to appeal his case on the basis of procedural errors, such as the validity of warrants used to authorize the search of his van and his motel room. On June 22, 1989, his appeal was dismissed, with the court ruling that any procedural errors were minor, and in view of the other strong evidence against Bittaker, they did not affect the overall verdict. I'd be like, bro, you're fucked. Like, yeah. Why <laughs> the court basically was like, nah, fuck you, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's so much other evidence tying to this case that it does not matter about maybe That's a circumstantial war. at this right, point. Right, literally. Like, like, they're like, go fuck yourself, dude. <laughs> literally, go fuck yourself. So an initial execution date for Bittaker was set for December 29th, 1989. Bittaker appealed this decision. Um, although on June 11th, 1990, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the decision that he be executed, and a renewed execution date was scheduled for July 23rd, 1991. Bittaker again appealed the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court and he was granted a further stay of execution on July, July 9th, 1991. Bittaker also granted several death row interviews following his conviction. And he never expressed any remorse for his crime. He repeatedly stated that the only remorse he had felt 
was for the fact that he and Norris were arrested, thus ruining his own life. So no remorse for what he did. He is just mad that they got caught. Mm. When asked in 2016 if he would consider writing to the victim's family, Bittaker claimed that he was, quote, too ashamed to even try to beg for forgiveness. So I yeah, guess, right. you know, in 2016, he's trying to play the sympathetic oh, old man Oh, he's still card. alive? Well, he was in 2016. Mm. They didn't execute him. Mm. He was just basically sitting on death row. Mm. Um, so Bittaker died while incarcerated on death row at San Quentin State Prison on December 13th, 2019, at the age of 79. And his death was ruled as being due to natural causes. Mm. So he was sitting on death row for a long fucking time. Yeah, he was. Um, Roy Norris, he was incarcerated at the Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility. He died of natural causes at the California Medical Facility on February 24th, 2020, at the age of 72, having been transferred to this facility one week prior to his death. I think he was like getting kind of sick as you do mm. in your old age. Um, so they both ended up dying of natural causes. Stephen Kay, the prosecutor at Bittaker's trial, still considers the murders committed by Bittaker and Norris as being some of the worst or the worst criminal case he's ever prosecuted or ever encountered. He has remained insistent in his belief that prior to Bittaker's death, he had been more deserving of being executed than any other inmate incarcerated <laughs> on California's death row. He's like, if anybody deserves to get the fucking chair, it's this motherfucker. Uh, Paul Bynum, who was the chief investigator on the murders, he actually um, committed suicide Aww. in December of 1987 when he was 39 years old. Aww. In his 10-page suicide note, Bynum specifically referred to the murders committed by Bittaker and Norris as having haunted him and of his fear that, like, they would be released from prison. Mm-hmm. Um, the audio cassette that Bittaker and Norris created of themselves raping and torturing Shirley Ledford remains in the possession of the FBI Academy. And this recording is actually used to train and desensitize FBI agents to the raw reality of torture and murder. Oh, it's that horrific that, that they, they use it. it, that they kept it and use it to desensitize future FBI agents to mm-hmm. the reality of what they might see in the field. Mm-hmm. It was that fucking bad. Wow. And yeah, that is the... Toolbox, the case of the toolbox murders. <laughs> Absolutely fucking wild. It's so sad, too, that, like, not only did they completely ruin the lives of these girls and their families, but, like, also, like, Paul Bynum, the police detective. Right. Like, literally named it in his fucking suicide note that, like, I am so traumatized by what they did, mm-hmm. and I am so fucking terrified that they're going to get out and do this mm-hmm. again that I can't live anymore. Yeah. That's absolutely fucking insane. Like, it just kills me that, like, fucking Bittaker got to die of old age. Ugh. That they both got to die that of old age. That they both got to die of old age. I, like, we knew Norris was going to because he took the fucking plea deal because he's mm. a little bitch. <laughs> um, but also, it is kind of a good thing that he did take that plea deal because I I think... If he didn't, If then- he didn't, I, I still think that Bittaker would have gotten convicted but, but not the death penalty yeah not the death penalty like it was it was norris's testimony that really like Set it in put motion. the nails in his mm-hmm. coffin yeah it's just absolutely insane that somebody can be sentenced to death and sit on death row for the rest of their life <laughs> like come on people <laughs> like why are we waiting right and essentially like okay i totally like are you busy i i'm very <laughs> are we backed up a little? <laughs> No, seriously, because, I mean, admittedly, executing prisoners is very expensive, mm-hmm. uh, and the appeals process takes up a lot of fucking time, so if you have a mm-hmm. prisoner who's constantly appealing their case, mm-hmm. it's just going to, 
you know, continue to draw it out. And I'm very, like, 50-50 when it comes to the death penalty. Like Me too. Sometimes I feel like absolutely it's, like, in this case, definitely deserved. There definitely are innocent people who were tried and found guilty. Oh, absolutely. That are sitting on death row and shouldn't be there. Yeah, 100%. But then you got people like that. This (laughs) motherfucker. He should have been fucking gassed the second they pounded that gavel on. Right? Take him outside. Light his ass up. So I think in the state of California. But make sure you shoot him in his kneecaps first. Yeah, right? (laughs) Fuck him up real good first. Oh, I missed him. Sorry. And then the last one. Right in the brain. Right in the dome. Get fucked, you piece of shit. Yeah. Like, I think in, I don't know if this is like a, a precedent just in general across the, well, no, because it can't because not all states have, have death penalty. Mm-hmm. But in California, I think if you're sentenced to death, you're automatically granted an appeal. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So he would have had, he would have had the chance to appeal his death penalty, you know, regardless. Mm-hmm. So it's just the fact that like, they continually keep granting stays of execution and it's like just just pull the trigger (laughs) (laughs) just just fucking yeet his ass what the fuck just kill him you heard the tapes literally you you heard the fucking tapes seriously i watched this um i think it might have been on netflix that they actually had a documentary with um it was like 2016 maybe when this was made of a like reporter she had reached out to Lawrence Bittaker while he was in prison just kind of like wanting to you know just talk to him like about what he had done mm. and like she and him actually like developed like this like weird kind of friendship she's like I know who he is but like if he feels close to me like I'm gonna get more information from him and I I don't know it was really weird she would like go visit him in prison and just like talk to him like I'd be like him bitch, and you stuff are, you are being a weirdo and there's like pictures of her with him I wonder if I can find them that's him, literally like, what I would say fuck. I'd be like bitch you are being a fucking weirdo right seriously it started she was like oh I'm just like very um you know, uh, interested in this case, you know, and, like, what he did, da-da-da-da, and, like, all this other stuff, but, like, you don't have to, like, be his friend. Literally. I wish I really try. I can't, uh, I don't know if I'm gonna find the picture of them together. Because I can't, I don't know what to Google, but, yeah, fuck that guy. He literally should have been fucking gassed the second he was sentenced to death because that motherfucker deserved it. He deserved it more than any other person that I could. Oh, here. So that's the reporter, and that's her with him in like 2016. Ew. You know? Ew. He was a fucking ugly, Ew. nasty ass man. He <gasps> looks like somebody's creepy grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> that's fucking nasty. Did they ever have any kids? Those two? No, they did not. God bless. They did not procreate. Maybe they spawned something from raping women, but. Yeah, they never, like, actually willingly fathered any children. Great. That we know of. So, yeah, fuck these two guys. They suck. Um, if you made it this far, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But y'all know what you're getting into at this point with this fucking podcast. Literally. <laughs> we, we don't pull any punches here. No. We're going for the brutal shit, so. Clearly. I want to say, hope you guys enjoyed this, but if you enjoyed it, I question your sanity. I hope you found this interesting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I hope it makes you makes you think. Yes. Hope 
it makes you not get any into any mysterious fans. I Please. Hope, I wish you knew that beforehand, but like if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't, now you do. Please do not hitchhike. Oh my god, when me and my mom were coming home from the gym the other day, we literally there was a hitchhiker like sitting on the side of the road in like fucking Lockport. I've seen that before. I'm like, mm, no, no. <laughs> it was like an old man. I was like, he's gonna murder us. He did not look like a kind old man. Oh. He looked like a murdery old man. Oh, never mind. But yeah, so I was like, mm, no. <laughs> Lesson: Don't pick up hitchhikers. Don't pick pick up hitchhikers. If you are hitchhiking, don't. Little <laughs> 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 snort in my spray. <laughs> it was just the, if you're hitchhiking, don't. <laughs> don't get into anybody's random ass van. Creeper vans are a thing. Um, what else? Um. Always be aware of your surroundings. Run for your life like Robin Robeck. Yeah. Be a mm-hmm. motherfucking track star. Don't, for the love of God, if somebody offers you anything, get in a van, murder is your next thing that's happening. Yep. So don't do it. Vans equal death. Don't get into a if van. If they offer you anything, don't do it. Because you know who also got into a van? Uh, Mary Vincent. She got her fucking arms chopped off. <sighs> so don't get into vans. No. Nope. Don't get into vans. I mean, Do not hitchhike. I mean, Don't. she was a bad bitch and she survived, but she more than likely, bitch, like, 99% of the time, you're not going to survive Yeah, that. you're not going to survive that. Mary Vincent just has she bad was, bitch energy. And she was the outlier. Mm-hmm. So don't get your hopes up. Yeah. So just don't. Don't be thinking you're going to have the same start that she did. You're going <laughs> to fucking die. <laughs> Literally. So just... Don't do Just it. don't do it. Just life, don't do it. Life lessons on the podcast. <laughs> life lessons on this shit really happened podcast. <laughs> well... I'm trying to think of what we're going to do for the next case. I have a couple. I'll, I'll give you another this or that choice. Um, but yeah, we'll try to get another episode maybe out in another week or so. But we'll see. We'll see what life has in store for us. Um, we'll keep you guys posted. We've got a bar crawl to attend. So. Oh, yeah, we do. We do have a Halloween bar crawl. So this weekend is booked and busy. I'm probably going to be hungover for like two days. <laughs> so... We'll see how that goes. (laughs) But if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. Go follow the Instagram, TSRH Podcast. Go hit us up on Facebook, TSRH Podcast. Send us an email, TSRHpodcast at gmail.com. Do you have that link to your phone? uh, The Gmail? Yeah. Nobody wants to email us. Have you ever gotten an email? No, I'm very sad about it. Talk to me! Anyways, thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm tired. Autumn, do you have anything else to say to the people? (laughs) Not a fucking thing. All right. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Say something. Fuck my life.